Loretta, you start by calling the meeting to order. Can you say I'm calling the meeting to okay, order? Call the meeting to order. And Linda, can you please take roll? Yes. Loretta Mallon? Hey, here. Niha Banger? Lucia Angel? Here. B. Franks Walker? Here. Richard Harvey Jr. Present. Eric Murphy. Mark Smith. Khalil Toki. Here. Ali Yessing. We have a quorum.
So I just wanted to let you know that in the minutes it's reflected correctly as the 2020 report, but originally in our agenda it had said 2021. That action item is closed for the um, calendar year now because we're moving into a new contract area, and those right. are all relationships to our subrecipient agreement with the um, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. Right. Okay, great. So, can I get someone to um, second the approval of the minutes? I think we first need someone to make a motion. Oh, someone I, yeah. I, Richard Hervey, move to approve the minutes from our meeting on January 12, 2001. Thank you, Richard. In 2021. You know, I went back to 2001 today as well. I think it's, <laughs> it's catching. I know. <laughs> okay. And I'll, I'll second. And then since this is a consent item, then the next thing that we usually say is, unless there are any objections, this motion. Yeah, unless there's any objections, this motion passes. Okay, let's move on to C, which is uh, Dr. Francis' report. Are you with us, Dr. Francis? I am. Sorry that I was a little bit late joining. I was hustling back from a uh, clinic. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, so we're anxious to hear what you have to share. So as usual, I'm going to focus on the um, just what's happening with the COVID response since that's, uh, you know, where a lot of action is happening uh, with regard to people experiencing homelessness. And then um, I'll just do a brief introduction of uh, our new interim CEO and um and give Mr. Jackson a chance to, to this is my, my first opportunity actually to, um, to uh, be in a meeting with him as well. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to just having him share some, some words with us. Um, so Brenda, you can go to the next slide. Um, so um, it's important to understand that I think even though that we're turning, you know, turning the curve a little bit, we're still really at the highest level of cases um, that we've had so far in our community and the outbreak among people experiencing homelessness is really paralleling the outbreak overall. Um, okay. So um, I think the case numbers are somewhere in the 300 range. Heather, do you have the most updated number? I didn't get anything back from, um, from Healthcare for the Homeless yet. You know, I do not hold those statistics in my brain so well. I can probably look it up though while we're meeting and I might be able to have a number for you shortly. I think we're at somewhere around 300 confirmed cases and really that number is most important just for monitoring the trend in it over time because we have, you know, as many or more unconfirmed people experiencing homelessness. So many of the reported cases, um, we really don't know anything about their housing status and, uh, right. and so we don't, you know, we don't have anything that's an exact number on people experiencing homelessness. But the trend at least is continuing to be, you know, as high as it's been at any point during um, the, the pandemic at all. And then you can see uh, under the second bullet um, that we have 15 outbreak responses that are open right now at homeless shelters around the community and six outbreak responses at encampments. So that means there's 15 places where there's been at least one infection in the shelter and there's an organized response to prevent ongoing transmission. And for most of the pandemic, we've been at 
you know, two or three um, people, two or three shelters where we're responding at the same time. And really over the, these last few months, it's been a, a much higher um, a much higher rate of, uh, of, of outbreaks um, that the county is having to respond to and the community of shelter providers is responding to. Um, we have our staff, uh, Lem Lem, Haile Michael, Michael is participating in the um, shelter conversations every Wednesday with all the shelter providers. And Dr. Minnie Swift um, has been, uh, who's our vice, Pre vice president of population health, has also been participating to provide information about vaccines. And what's been really amazing about those meetings is just um, how great a job our community is doing, you know, sharing best practices and, and responding to these outbreaks um, together. I think we are still averaging over 70 people um, from shelters around the community that are participating in, in the shelter call every Wednesday and, uh, and um, about the same number that are participating in the street outreach call. And despite the really high numbers, um, I think people still have a good sense of, of you know, being able to stay, um, stay in command of, uh, of those outbreaks and, and prevent ongoing transmission. Um, Khalil, I don't know if you've participated in any of those, and if you wanted to share anything about, about that, uh, the, the county-wide response you know, in, in shelters and, and the street outreach response that you're aware of. You're on mute, I think, if you did want to say something. <laughs> Um, to be honest, no, I haven't actually. I know that um, I know there was some uh, outburst at um, actually at the um, navigation center in Hayward, I believe, recently last week, um, because there's a hold right now uh, to place people. So hopefully by this Friday, you know, they're just waiting for the test results to come back. Um, but the navigation center in Hayward, I know that um, it was um, last week happened. On Thursday, we actually had a few clients that were supposed to be going in into that navigation center, but they got put on hold um, because there was an outbreak, you know, and so they're just waiting for the test results to come back, and uh, we'll take people back in. That's the only one I know of. Uh, I really don't know about the outreach team. Uh, I know that they are out here, too, but I, I really don't know about the outreach. I don't know what's going on with them, but I know that the navigation side at uh, uh, Hayward, um, there was one over the last week. Yeah, so, you know, just even one of these 15 represents a lot of people who are on the phone and making lots and lots of decisions about where people can move and when they can move and what kind of care they need. And, and um, so it's really, uh, you know, again, just really um, impressive to see how well coordinated, you know, this, this group of uh, uh, this community of providers that we're a part of has been. Uh, Brenda, you can go to the next slide. Um, so the um, occupancy at safer ground continues to decline. So you can see um, from from a peak of around uh, 800 in early October, we're now down to about 500 people in the safer ground sites. Two of those sites have actually um, have actually closed um, because of the change in administration and um, some uh, information we've received that the. FEMA funding that supports these hotels is likely to be renewed now, which was different than the, the situation that was expected by the last administration. Um, we do think that some of the planned closures of the safer ground sites are um, probably not going to happen now. And so we're likely to see this number stabilize and potentially go up. Um, just as a reminder, everybody who um, who's had to leave uh, one of the one of the sites that's closing 
has either been offered a spot at one of the other safer ground sites or um, has been offered, uh, you know, either an, another interim housing situation or a permanent housing situation. So we haven't had anyone who's been um, discharged without any options to, you know, back to a, um, either a shelter or a, a unsheltered situation um, out of safer ground. Some people have, of course, chosen to return to those situations, but um, that's always when they've been presented with at least one option to to um, to go to, to an equal or better situation, is my understanding. Um, and then the next, uh, you can go to the next slide, Brenda. I don't know who that is. Um, I heard someone else maybe could be on mute. Um, so this is the graphic for Operation Comfort, and that gray line you can see is the current occupancy, and you can see how it bounces around quite a bit more than for the safer ground sites. Um, so really since early November with this latest peak, um, we've kind of had a steadily increasing um, occupancy of, of Operation Comfort, and you can see those numbers bounce around and sometimes go up by as many as, you know, 20 cases in a day. Um, earlier in the pandemic, you know, over two days, you might even see a jump in like 50 cases because those are people who, if there's a big shelter outbreak, they need to move a lot of people into the isolation site all at one time. Um, but um, I think the, um, the site has done a good job of maintaining capacity. They've developed some overflow capacity that they're now reporting out. And so there were some periods of time during this past spike where um, I was concerned that we weren't going to have enough isolation capacity if there were um, outbreaks at shelters. But now um, I think that um, it's pretty clear that we have the overflow capacity if we need it. And, um, and we're probably going to be able to manage as long as we don't, you know, um, continue spiking up. And this, this trend of um, reductions in case numbers continues the way that we hope it will. Go to the next slide, Brenda. Um, so COVID vaccinations, I'm sure as you all have heard, have begun. Um, as of the time that I turned in these slides, Alameda Health System had vaccinated 6,328 of our staff members um, with uh, at least one dose for um, all of the homeless health center staff um, who were interested in receiving it. So of course we do have staff internally who you know, are still um, unvaccinated in many cases, um, because they're not interested in receiving the, the vaccine. Um, but um, everyone that, um, that has wanted to get one who's part of our ambulatory care system or part of our mobile health team has been able to receive at least one dose of the vaccine so far. Um, so that's a tremendous milestone and, and um, really puts us in a great position to, to serve our patients better. Um, we began um, outreach and actually began vaccinations for patients over 65 last week in our system. Um, Actually, someone you all know and love, Heather McDonald-Fine, is uh, our interim practice manager for the patient vaccination clinic um, and was on site this weekend and has really been doing a great job um, ironing out some of the workflows, you know, rallying all the staff um, and, uh, and, and serving this population. Heather, I don't know if you want to say anything about the experience so far um, with vaccinations for our patients over 65. I will say that I'm really enjoying being in the clinic. I really like meeting the patients. I did do a quick glance because, you know, I can never help myself to look at the data to see of our patients who've gotten the COVID vaccination, how many of them are in our homeless registry. And so I think we've given first doses to roughly 500 patients within our system so far, and 11 of them are people experiencing homelessness. And so we're going to be keeping an eye on that and then doing some 
additional outreach to make sure that that population isn't being left behind. But again, remember this is the 65 and older crowd and our patients, as we mentioned before, when we talked about our data for patients experiencing homelessness in our system, do tend to be on the higher age range over 50. More than 50% of our patients are over 50. So um, that's in alignment. So we're gonna take a closer look at that. But given that we've done very little vaccination so far, as in it started last week, Wednesday, I feel that getting 11 people experiencing homelessness already with their first dose is a good thing. Yes, and uh, I think equally as important to the efforts that we're undertaking here, the county vaccination efforts that are gonna be happening you know, outside of clinical settings at what the county's calling points of distribution that include points of distribution that are really targeted to people experiencing homelessness are gonna be really important. I think, you know, we know that a lot of our homeless health center patients utilize urgent care, need to come in whenever it, you know, it makes sense in their lives to come in. Um, and so, you know, an outreach-based strategy where we sit in clinic and make calls and wait for people to come to us, we know is not gonna reach the population completely. And so we're really depending on, on our county partners to be able to develop those other approaches to, um, to vaccination as well. Um, they've uh, really had a robust effort to vaccinate street outreach and shelter staff already and um, are beginning to, um, to also provide vaccinations to people over 65 who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and we're gonna you know, continue to learn more over the next few weeks about the plans that they have to, to ensure that that um, population has access to the vaccine. Damon, Loretta's hand is up. I think she has a question. Um, is the mobile health van also doing vaccinating, or is it just uh, at the wellness centers? The uh, mobile health van is not doing vaccination. It is, it is just at the wellness centers. Um, it would be because of the way the two vaccines we have currently require um, cold storage, um, the logistics of doing oh, yeah. a mobile vaccine program. Um, are actually quite challenging. Um, and so um, right now, you know, the trade-off hasn't seemed worth it for us to, to, um, to do vaccination on the mobile van, not knowing, not being able to set up exactly how many doses we're gonna get. I think the mass vaccination right. strategies where you know there's gonna be a lot of people coming and you can plan to defrost a certain amount and, or thaw a certain amount uh, are, gonna, are the ones yeah. that I think are gonna be better strategies. Um, we have, um, had preliminary conversations with the county about the mobile health uh, team participating with their strategy and so we're waiting to hear more about sort of what their plans are and where they envision you know that the mobile if not the van itself that the team might be involved in providing vaccinations right because they they have to make their appointment for the second dose right at the time that they're getting the first one so we need to that, have that, some kind that's of that's an additional yeah go ahead sorry no so that's um something else we have to follow up on correct exactly that's that's an additional consideration um that i think that i think is important i think it, for the population of people who are living in shelters now um there's been much there still is turnover and movement among the shelters but much less than there was pre-covid um, many of the shelters are keeping a kind of cohorted population so i think at least within the shelters there's an opportunity to um sort of um uh, plan on the basis of the idea that there's going to be a more stable population at the shelters than what we would usually have experienced. Um, so I think that'll be helpful in terms of planning for second doses, but it is, it is an additional really important and challenging consideration. Right, right. Thank you. And I think that's the last slide on COVID. Can you go forward a more slide? Yeah, so any other questions on the coronavirus response among people experiencing homelessness? 
Um, I had a question, Cecilia. Um, I'm just wondering kind of what your uh, vaccine access is. Are you having trouble um, with, um, kind of, like, what are you seeing as your biggest uh, barrier right now to, um, you know, reaching out to the most amount of people or what, what's kind of the bottleneck right now? You mean for um, for ambulatory homeless health center patients? Yeah. I don't know, Heather, if you have any, any thoughts on that. You've been closer to these conversations than I have. Um, given the, our current strategy of providing vaccines at the wellness centers and at Highland, I mean, I think we're just in the infancy of our launch. And so part of the delay is, is just about developing the systems in order to provide the vaccine for patients. Um, and this is for all patients. This is not specific to patients experiencing homelessness. Um, then from there, what I would say is we are seeing a really good show rate among the patients who have scheduled appointments within our system. So um, at Highland, for example, we'll see roughly 90 patients a day. And and of the of the 90 or so who are scheduled, between two and five don't show up. And so that's an incredible show rate for people who are who are mm -hmm. making appointments. And in addition to that, um, at the day of, we're often adding a couple of appointments on the spot, and those appointments are added because we have um, additional vaccine doses available, and so we want to make sure that we put those into people. Um, and we're able to do that pretty easily because they're, especially at Highlands, there are people around. At the at the wellness centers, um, the vaccine, they're, we're using Pfizer at, at Highlands and we're using Moderna at the wellness centers. And the reason for that is primarily about the storage situation um, mm -hmm. and, and defrosting. So Pfizer vaccine is a little bit different than, than Moderna. Um, Pfizer needs to be defrosted and it, it expires much more quickly. Um, and so having the large volume available at Highlands really works well for that site. Um, we're using the Moderna at the wellness center because it doesn't need to deep freeze. It can just manage itself with a regular freezer. So once it comes out of deep freeze and into regular freezer, it lasts much longer. And um, those vials are also in, in 10 dose increments. And so they're very much scheduling to the, to the 10s. Um, and yeah. there's their smaller sites. And so that's what we're doing right now. So I think most of it is just developing our strategies, figuring out our workflows, and then it's about staffing. I mean, to, to launch these vaccination clinics and to, it's basically adding another service line into, into ambulatory care. And that's um, in each of the wellness centers and including at Highland. And so that requires staffing. And right now we do have some staff that are dedicated to this effort in addition to people who um, may work part-time who are offered additional uh, hours to work. Um, and it does also take training because it's um, very specific what you need to do, mostly around documentation. Um, I will mm -hmm. say the immunization is an immunization. They're giving the doses and there's measurements and that goes with any any immunization that they're given. But uh, it's a lot about documentation um, in our system and, and moving quickly. And I know that Catherine's on the line too. So I just, I would say that if she has anything, if I missed anything or if she has an additional insight, she would be able to offer it as well. No, I don't have any, I mean, Heather, you just, uh, uh, went over a lot of the details, which is like super exciting. And I have to say that vaccinating patients in our community right now is one of the most gratifying things I've ever done um, in my career. So it's super exciting. Um, I do think that there's a lot of work we need to do around vaccine hesitancy, outreach to specific populations. And so, you know, while we work out the logistics and, you know, we have plenty of patients um, wanting to get the vaccine right now, 
Um, in parallel, we need to be really planning and strategizing for um, making sure that um, those in our community that are hesitant or um, um, more at risk of COVID, that we are um, we're planning for that, that outreach to bring them in. Lucy, are there any any particular um, barriers that you've seen that or that you had in mind that that we should be um, considering and thinking about in our strategy? Um, I'm, I'm I think I'm just kind of wondering what the uh, the goal number of like vaccines per day or per week, whatever. I don't know what the strategy strat, strategy looks like for um, Alameda Health System. Sorry, my kids crying in the background. Um, yeah, I think one second. Having been in the conver—that's okay. Having been in the conversations, you know, in our ambulatory leadership committee, I think we we want to vaccinate as many you know patients as possible of ours, and I think acknowledge that mass vaccination strategies are going to be critical to reach our entire population. There's there's really no way with a clinic-based strategy that we're going to be able to move at the pace we need to with this vaccination, um, just as a health system alone. This is really a community-wide effort. It's gonna depend upon, you know, the county, it's gonna depend upon many of our community-based organization partners. You know, it's gonna be an all hands on deck kind of thing in order to make sure that we get our patients uh, vaccinated. I don't know, Catherine, if you wanna add anything to that. Yeah, no, I think we think if we, um, you know, wanna target all of our patients who are 65 and older, you know, that's, um, that'll take us about the next Two months to do, um, but as, as you just said, Damon, there's a lot of other, um, you know, sites that are coming up across the county that you know our patients will be able to access as well. Um, and so after we do 65, and then there'll, there'll be other um, folks, essential workers, etc., that we are going to welcome in. And Catherine, are we just doing our patients? We're not open to the general public, correct? Correct. It's our patients. It includes specialty patients, um, um, but we are primarily targeting um, patients who come to us for care. Okay. And is it going to stay like that, do you think? Because um, I know some of the clinics through um, Alameda County are doing, you don't have to have any particular insurance <clears throat> or you don't mm -hmm. have to be a provider there to get the shot. Right, right. I think just like a lot of other healthcare systems, they're really focusing on making sure that they're bringing their patients in for care, like okay. Kaiser and Laclinica. Right. Uh, same kind of um, targeted outreach for those patients. Um, okay. But the sites that the county is popping up are, um, you know, open, you know, based off of their the, uh, the county requirements, right. criteria right. that they have in place. I just want to add to that also. Um, I know Lifelong has been really good about it too, because um, we have circa 60 that is um, 60 and above, you know, and they've been actually helping our partners uh, get those vaccine shots. And I believe like last week alone, there was like six clients that were able to get their vaccine shots through Lifelong. Yeah. So that, yeah. So those are like the resources that Vax is like really working on trying to get the 65 or plus, and then working on getting the other ones. The vaccine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Bax is working alongside Lifelong. Well, Bax Bax's clients um, that are like 
part of Circuit 60, that is a program that deals with older adults. They basically okay. reach out to Lifelong, and Lifelong is actually okay. giving them vaccines, yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I think that's the kind of thing we're going to need to keep doing, both some, some combination of, you know, people hustling like that and, and working out with their local resources. And then I think we're looking forward really to hearing, you know, from our partners at Healthcare for the Homeless in the county, um, you know, how we can accelerate and support those kinds of, um, you know, grassroots efforts and, and then overlay a strategy that's going to make sure that we, um, you know, that I think not just deliver the vaccine, but really help people experiencing homelessness, you know, understand about the vaccine, make their own decisions about the vaccine, um, the, the way that, you know, we really need to to make sure that um, we're countering the, the misinformation and, um, you know, and really um, uh, trying to trying the best we can do to, to limit the disparities uh, in, in vaccination that have plagued, I think, the whole response to, to COVID-19. Uh, also, at HEDCO, I mean, also at HEDCO, sorry, but at HEDCO recently, um, we do have a lot of clients that actually been asking about the vaccine shot. They want to know if the mobile, uh, when the mobile van is here, you know, are they going to be giving out the vaccine shots? And we didn't, I didn't want to give them an answer because I really don't know. And I told them, I said, you know what, when the time comes, once they do have it, I'm pretty sure they're be able to provide those vaccine shots. Uh, do you guys know probably around when you guys will be able to have it in the mobile van to provide those vaccine shots? The, the, we're following the guidance from the state and the county regarding which populations of people, you know, it's open to. So for folks who are patients of Alameda Health System, you know, who are 65 and over, we're, you know, we're able to have folks come to clinic and, and um, our staff can certainly, if you reach out and call the mobile van, you know, we can certainly help the same way that you reached out to Lifelong and, you know, that, that backs reached out to Lifelong and, and helped. We can certainly help coordinate for those folks who, are, who meet the eligibility criteria already. I think the question as to is the van going to be part of, you know, more of a outreach population focused effort is one that we have to really coordinate with our county partners on. Um, that's that's something that we're not going to do as a mobile van team alone because I think it, it it requires understanding what the county strategy is, where we're going to be, where we would expect to have patients, you know, what our registration strategy is for folks who are not existing Alameda Health System patients. There's a lot of questions there. Um, that that really require us kind of participating in their process. And so I know they've been really focused these last couple of weeks on these larger points of distribution getting set up, um, and they're trying to figure out how the homeless strategy sort of fits in there. So we're, we're staying in close communication with them. And, you know, I think week to week, day to day, you know, the, the, the answers might change to that, to that question, Khalil. B, I saw you had your hand up earlier. I'm not sure if you had something that you wanted to say. Yes, I I want to know what is your feel of people wanting to take the vaccine. I live in Hayward, and I've had to go to San Mateo to get my shot, and there are just lines and lines and lines of people there getting their vaccine shot. So, what is your feel of your community that you're working with as far as your the homeless? Do most of them want it, or are they just kind of aloof about it, or just what? Yeah, I don't have any um, really solid data on this yet. I do have the experience of, you know, my patients in the clinic and some of the patients on the van. And um, I've noticed people who are in the eligibility groups or people who are asking it overwhelmingly are interested in getting the vaccine. Um, 
the younger folks among my patients are the ones who are more skeptical um, and waiting and want to ask more questions about it. But among my patients who, you know, who I've known for a while, who, you know, kind of have good relationships with the healthcare system, um, they're, they're, they're ready to go. You know, people are really interested in it. Um, that said, I've been participating a lot in community forums. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I've done, I've done two pretty big community forums now talking about the vaccine, uh, particularly in the African-American population. And, you know, heard a lot of skepticism and a lot of concern about, about the vaccine. And so I think, um, my, my theory about that, and again, I don't have any, you know, a lot of data about this, but I think people who already have a strong relationship with their healthcare provider, um, and, you know, who are already kind of used to getting medical care and feel like they have a place they can go to, to get that trusted medical care are much more comfortable with the idea of vaccination, you know, in my experience so far than folks who are like hungering for anyone who understands their situation and can be a credible messenger in their community to just explain things about them about the explain things to them about the vaccine that are you know that um that it's really hard to figure out if you're just kind of following the media environment which has all these messages floating yeah. around you know yeah. i think the, the, the piece of data we do have in our own system we are seeing racial disparities you know among employees at alameda health system and vaccination rates um and so you know there is there is some evidence that the same disparities we've seen kind of throughout this this pandemic um you know, we're experiencing with vaccination so far in our community, just like we are, you know, nationwide. Thank you. So we'll definitely uh, come back with more vaccine updates as we know more next time. Um, you know, that's that's why I think we always spend time on COVID because it's kind of, it's it's where things are moving and changing the most. And um, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure that you guys stay aware of that as much as possible. I want to shift to talking a little bit about leadership and governance. Just um, two quick updates, and then um, and then we'll introduce um, our interim CEO. Um, so one is that um, I think you all know that um, our um, board of trustees, um, most of them resigned, and we seated a new board of trustees that included some members who were reappointed by the board of supervisors. Um, and um, along with that effort, the county had committed to examine the relationship between Alameda Health System and the county and to figure out the governance strategy. They have, um, and they had committed to a stakeholder process actually to, to, um, to engage you know, people like us, like this board on how, on how that should be designed and how it should look uh, moving forward. So they have engaged a consultant, Health Management Associates um, was approved, they approved a contract in December for them to, I think, analyze the governance, you know, arrangements right now, analyze some other governance arrangements that exist around the uh, country and, and make some recommendations to us, I think, about how to conduct the stakeholder process and then make some decisions about, about how we want the governance arrangements to look moving forward. Um, so I'll keep you all, you know, apprised of that and, and uh, obviously have any opportunities to participate as we, as we learn more about that situation. Obviously, our relationship with the county is really, really important, you know, within Healthcare for the Homeless and the Homeless Health Center. We have a really long-standing relationship with them, and you know neither one of us could implement the health center program without the other partner. Um, so it's really, really critical that um, you know that that we continue to have um, you know a close relationship with the county and support that as much as possible. Um, related to that, um, Heather and I are really in the process of working with um, the healthcare for the homeless program to look at our mobile health services. I think some of the questions that came up today, you know, clearly asking, when is the van going to be part of the vaccination strategy? 
they they relate to the idea of you know the how does the van service how is it designed what was it designed to do you know i think the last time that really there were any significant changes in how the van operated was around the time that it started up um in the 90s so um it's definitely time for us to review and what we're what we're carrying forward from this group is the principles that you all gave us around the subrecipient agreement in um in uh, our october meeting of being flexible and really trying to do population health planning and making sure that we're coordinating with the other you know organizations around us like lifelong you know like roots like the shelters like the street outreach programs to approach the population as a whole rather than sort of thinking of it just as you know as our patients i think the other principles you all affirm for us that are that are really front of mind is how do we provide data to them and get data from the county for example, how do we get their Care Connect data to help us inform planning around what we might do? How do we provide data to them that comes from our EPIC system to help inform what we might do? And how do we really strongly consider, you know, what the revenue opportunities are? Um, I think, you know, making sure we were strategic about supplemental funding was another principle that came from this board. So just know that we're in those conversations about some changes we might make to that program, um, working in partnership with them, and we're kind of carrying forward the principles that you all gave us around the subrecipient agreement to do that. Um, and maybe I'll pause there for questions so I can hand uh, James a clean slate here. Um, so any any questions about either of those things, and then and then we can hand the uh, the time over to James. All right, great. I didn't know that uh, that that Mr. Jackson was going to join us today. Um, I would have I would have let him create his own slide, uh, but these are the things I I picked out. Um, and, and thought would be worth highlighting is the, you know, the fact that he's um, been uh, you know, a high-level administrator here in our system. He knows our system well already. Um, and indeed, you know, just uh, as an Oakland native whose father served as a physician here, I think um, that, you know, that said something to me about his commitment, even in the interim role, to really you know, steward this institution for the long term. And what I've noticed in the communication so far is um, – something that I think we do a lot of in this program. Uh, strengthening and building bridges is something that he's prioritized, and um, that's been something that's just been really, um, you know, heartening to see in the communication so far. So, James, please um, feel free to carry your introduction wherever you want to go and, and take it wherever you want to go from here. Well, listen, uh, Damon, thank you very much for that introduction, and I'm going to go a little off script here. Have you folks heard of a, a hype man before? Are you familiar with the term of a hype man? That's somebody who kind of introduces you and basically uplifts you to the body that you're talking to. And Damon, you could be my hype man anytime. So <laughs> thank you for the fantastic intro. You touched on, on the high point. Um, I would just offer, um, in addition to being the former CAO for San Leandro, I um, I served in the same capacity for Alameda Hospital as well as for Fairmont Hospital. And I also was the CAO for Hayward Wellness and for Eastmont Wellness over the course of my time with AHS previously. And I, and I share that to um, just reemphasize the fact that, and Damon said it, I, I know AHS pretty well. I've been gone for a little over two years, but I know the system very well in terms of um, the work that's done and you know, the various elements of the system. And yes, my father worked there as the head of the maternal and child health program for over 20 years. And so I have a, 
a bit of an equity stake in the work of the Alameda Health System. And so this is, it's more than a job for me. So I'm really pleased to be here tonight. Um, I thank you, Heather, for the opportunity to come and to, to be present. Um, the work that you're doing, I really just was intrigued as I listened to the discussions because, you know, Damon, you were talking about partnership opportunities and, and the interfaces, and, and you said it. That's what I'm all about, building bridges and strengthening relationships. And so this body is doing a lot of the work that, you know, in terms of the the ethos and the way you're going about your business that I'm all about, and so I'm grateful for that. Um, my hope is that you will utilize my office and me as a resource, and to the extent that I can support your work, um, I really insist that you, you do so. Um, I was intrigued by the Safer Ground conversation that was happening earlier. Um, because I, I noticed the numbers of, in terms of just the raw numbers are going down, and I think it was mentioned that two sites closed. On a superficial level, it seems to me that that's a good thing, but I just wanted to, to verify that because, it, you know, if I'm hearing that wrong, I want you to tell me that, but I want to understand how best AHS and I can support the work of, of this board um, I am a, health, a public health professional by, by training, and one of the things that I want you to know about public health professionals is that um, it's very important to us to emphasize that a community, a society is only as healthy as the least healthy members of that community or that society. And so the work that you're doing is terribly important because we can have a small subset of people who are very healthy, but we remain an unhealthy society or community because there are those among us who are not doing well. And so to the extent that we can, in a proactive and engaged way, improve the health of those who are experiencing homelessness or, you know, some degree of homelessness, I very much want to be a part of that. And so um, I, I will start to bring my remarks to a close. I did want to talk about vaccine hesitancy. Uh, I heard that described earlier. Um, and that's something that we are acutely aware of. How do we help those who, for whatever their reason is, they feel a hesitancy about making themselves available to get the vaccine? Um, there will be a video that's going to be released tomorrow of me getting my first vaccine. Um, I am a man. Uh, I'm an African-American man. And in that video, I talk about the importance of all communities availing themselves of this opportunity. And um, I hope that this group will take advantage of the fact that, you know, there is a high degree of sensitivity around this with the AHS leadership and leverage us, help us help you. So I'm going to stop there, open it for questions, and um, thank you all for allowing me to join you this evening. That was the opportunity for folks to ask me questions. So <laughs> I'm just excited. Yeah, I, I, I think it's um, change is always um, difficult, but it's also very exciting because uh, new things are brought in and new ideas, and and so I'm excited. You know, I, I care a great deal about where Alameda Health System is going, where they've been, how they've improved. And so whenever a change happens, I, I look for the good. So I'm excited to have you. Thank you, Loretta. And I welcome you also. 
and look forward to working with you also. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, there was a question about, um, well, there was the issue around the uh, the mobile van, and I think that, that Damon, you, you did speak to that. It's, it's the right question, um, and I thought your answer was fantastic. Um, we are being very focused about who we're um, um, delivering the vaccine to at this time, and we're working closely with the county. And I think that was the essence of your answer, is that we're following the guidelines. Um, if and when we have the, the clearance and the wherewithal to provide it to a broader audience, and I think that day is going to be coming, we will certainly do so. But we are going to uh, you know, make sure there's no daylight between us and the county. I think you've all seen where some folks have been you know, taking liberties with how the vaccine is being distributed and kind of being a little bit um, um, random, um, going off the reservation, if you will. And um, we're going to stay true to our mission, caring, healing, teaching, serving all. But we're also going to do everything in our power to, to make sure that everybody who is eligible for receiving the vaccine does receive the vaccine. And I count on folks like Damon and Heather to help make sure that we are being aggressive, but staying in our lane and doing the right thing. James, thank you so much for joining us. I think uh, um, we'll, if, if you can stay, you know, we'd absolutely love to have you involved in, in the rest of the presentation, presentation today. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, uh, our some, some research that we've been doing on, on approaches to engagement and care, and um, I think Heather's going to be doing our program report. And so, um, you know, I think if, if Alexander lets us break the rules and someone comes up with a question later on, in one of the other agenda items, we should we should take advantage of the fact that you're with us to, to allow folks to uh, to do that. I appreciate that, and if Alexander doesn't um, come down too harshly on me, I'd be happy to. The other thing I would offer is that <laughs> I promise I will update my picture, so um, just don't don't judge me too harshly. It looks good, man. I wouldn't update it. I like it. You're fine. <laughs> So, right, Loretta, with your permission, I, I, I was going to go to the next agenda item. I think you're on mute, Loretta. Yeah, I'm sorry. Heather, this is where um, you're going to be talking to us about the, um, what a dropping clinic looks like, correct? Yeah, this is Damon, and so as the chair, oh, you go, Damon, I can't, can. I'll pull us through to the next agenda item. So this is officially a next agenda item. Okay. That's fine. You've just opened it up. There we did. We did it. Go, Damon. Great. Yeah, so this, this goes back to um, the presentation of the onboarding assessment that I did. And I think conversations this board has really been having since inception around barriers to care for people experiencing homelessness. And um, we talked about, you know, as a, as a second recommendation um, that came out of my onboarding assessment, um, wanting to really have a strategic approach to reducing barriers to care and figuring out how we tie engagement and care to our staffing priorities and our budgeting priorities within um, the ambulatory care system. And as part of that, I know, um, I know Lucia and I think a couple other um, board members brought up, well, what do we know about this, you know, from the research base, from the evidence, from other people's experience, and can you all bring that back 
you know, to us as a as a, an agenda item to talk about. So I did a little bit of a review of you know the literature that I could find about the topic, and I wanted to present it to you here, and then um, just open it up for a little bit of uh, of discussion. So I think we can go to the slide deck for this um, for this portion. And keep going forward, Brenda. Um, so yeah, the goals really of the conversation, just to give you the, you know an overview of the literature that I was able to find, um, and to gather some questions and ideas from you all to prioritize during our upcoming HRSA required strategic planning. So just to remind you all, um, one of the requirements of a, a um, community health center governing board is every three years. Um, to do a, a formal strategic planning process that um, that addresses, among other things, the capital expenditures, you know, of the of the um, health center program. And so, um, since we've been, I think, going for about three years, um, we're due to do that strategic planning process sometime later this year. Um, and um, you know, we'll talk to the county about trying to leverage. You know, they're required to do a similar process as a friendly qualified health center, the, the county health care for the homeless program. So we'll talk to them about trying to figure out a way that we can do this, um, you know, jointly and leverage, you know, some of the um, needs assessment portions in particular. Uh, but I think it's important for us as a board to really have have some thinking in mind kind of as we head into that process. So the idea is really to gather, you know, just thoughts and ideas from you all today that we can that we can use as touchstones when we move through that process. Um, so you can go to the next slide, Brenda. Um, so this is just the background from the onboarding assessment um, that I already um, presented to you all. You can see the quotes there. So the, in the second bullet, established budget and staffing priorities to improve engagement in primary care among people experiencing homelessness. And as you know, as part of doing that, this is like, what do we know that other people do already? Let's try to let's try to learn from the best, and rather than make it up here, we can go to the next slide. So. One of the unfortunate things, you know, I, I reviewed this literature when I was with Healthcare for the Homeless uh, in the county before, um, and um, you know, one of the unfortunate things about the evidence base for people experiencing homelessness is there's not like a huge financial incentive to do big studies like the pharmaceutical companies have. So there aren't, you know, like all these really well done rigorous clinical trials. Um, um, but we have this this pretty good resource that was done in the province of Ontario where they reviewed basically essentially this literature and tried to pick out, you know, um, which articles uh, they, they thought actually addressed this question. And I think they, they, you know, did a search and then they narrowed it down to like 200 articles that they read. And then there were only five that they thought were even worth kind of reading in detail and reviewing and summarizing. And even among those five, you can see the evidence rating was very low. So I think the major thing I wanted to, to help you all understand with this slide was, you know, we're really in a realm in this work of, calling our colleagues on the phone across the country and learning what they do and learning from our own community and what's worked here in some regard because um, we don't have that same kind of solid research evidence base that we're used to relying on in medicine. For me, that's what makes health healthcare for the homeless fun. You know, you have to collaborate, you have to be creative, you have to think um, because we don't have like, this is the right way to do things. So I, I just wanna make it clear that that's, that's sort of the type of evidence that we're operating with here. Um, you can go to the next slide, Brenda. Um, so one of the one of the conclusions I had from reading this kind of review of the literature was that intensive interventions may work, but the evidence about them is really hard to interpret. 
Um, so the studies of these kinds of invention, interventions, like things like supportive housing or intensive case management, where you have one case manager who maybe has like 15, you know, people that they're case managing really closely, you know, meeting with multiple times a week, for example, um, that, um, of course, in those cases where people are being supported with, you know, a lot of resources like that, um, they're usually able to achieve pretty high rates of engagement and care. Um, and um, the issue was that, you know, because they were providing such intense resources to the intervention group in these studies, the comparison group that they were comparing to, they were also providing pretty intensive resources to, and so it's hard to kind of see exactly what's the difference there. And I think the main, the main takeaway for me, like contemplating what would it look like in Alameda County to do some of these things, um, was that, yes, I fully agree with permanent supportive housing. I fully agree with intensive case management services, you know, for people, you know, particularly with serious substance use or serious mental illness problems. But there, we're not likely to have the resources to do that for the 8,000 people experiencing homelessness and the several thousand that we serve here at Alameda Health System. They're just so resource intensive that we have to look beyond those kinds of strategies to figure out how we might uh, increase engagement in primary care. So maybe I'll pause there and just see if anyone has any questions about, about that. All right, um, Brenda, you can go to the next slide. Um, so this was probably the most promising intervention and the most promising study, actually. It was the one that you know they graded as a moderate evidence base because it was randomized. So they, you know, they randomly selected um, which patients were going to be in each of these four groups, and then um, and then they did four different things and they observed what happened. And so we know that you know what happened wasn't based on who on who was selected to be in which group because. They were, they were just randomized to be in them. So this is kind of the gold standard type of evidence um, that we often look for. And um, what you can see here is that um, on, the, on the vertical axis, it's the percent of people who actually had a primary care visit um, within that period of time and on the horizontal axis is the period of time. So the red line, for example, at the top shows that by six weeks, 80% of the people who got that intervention actually were seen in primary care within, within six weeks. Um, and um, both the red group and the purple group, which kind of had the highest rates of people getting newly engaged in primary care, had this clinic orientation. And, um, and it actually was a statistically significant difference from the, from the blue and the green group. Um, and uh, in the case of the red group, they also got this personal health assessment, which was a nurse assessment that kind of reviewed some questions and reviewed some clinical data and then presented back to people like, you know, you have high blood pressure and you're a smoker, and one of the really, you know, amazing things that could happen in primary care is your risk of heart attack or stroke could be dramatically reduced by having a relationship with a regular doctor, taking some medicine, um, you know, we might be able to really help your health. And so they combine that sort of assessment and feedback with this clinic orientation. Um, and you can see, you know, pretty, pretty dramatic differences between 80% of people in, in the highest group and 30% of people in the lowest group um, you know, being in primary care after about three months. So, um, Brenda, can you go to the next slide? I can talk more about what clinic orientation actually was in this study. So what they did after they enrolled people, which was typically at a drop-in center or homeless shelter, was immediately um, provide transportation to the clinic where, um, where the, the patient was going to go, and they did in-person introductions to a multidisciplinary care team. So 
this is the medical assistant, this is the front desk, this is the doctor, this is the social worker. Um, and then, um, and then they also gave them an in-person overview and tour of the location and types of services. Many of the clinics in this study, this was a VA study, also had food support. Some of them had things like showers. So they also had some social supports on site that really made the, made the clinic location an ideal place to serve people experiencing homelessness. But some of the sites didn't. And, you know, they were showing them the lab and the pharmacy and more of the sort of standard things. And overall, the orientation took about 15 to 20 minutes. So this is something that's not so resource intensive as, you know, permit supportive housing or intensive case management, but really showed a pretty dramatic effect, um, you know, and, and something that I think, you know, we may want to explore here in terms of uh, strategies for, for increasing engagement. We can go to the next slide. Um, so thinking about a separate set of services, which I think was something we had focused on in that, in that September conversation, drop-in services, they're really strongly supported by experts, but you know, the, there's not, I, I shouldn't say evidence is limited. Research evidence is limited about, um, about the value of drop-in services. There's lots of experience, there's lots of other types of evidence. So you know, one of these indirect things, another study from the VA showed that teams that had these measures of more flexible access, like they had more open hours, they had more times where people could just drop in and get the services you know, that, they, that they wanted to get, that they performed much better overall on measures of chronic disease outcomes and on measures of reducing, you know, unneeded hospitalizations, inappropriate hospitalizations, and things like that. Um, so that's probably the best kind of, you know, um, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire type evidence um, that we have on on sort of drop-in availability that's published in the research literature. But basically, all expert-driven guidelines on primary care for people experiencing homeless say drop-in and walk-in clinics. I just gave you a few examples there. Anyone who's been in this field for any period of time is going to say, let's try to get some drop-in availability and drop-in services. And indeed, that's, you know, how our mobile health clinic is designed, um, although it's more of an urgent care than a, than a primary care. Damon? Um, so you can go, yeah. Thank you for taking your breath. Um, yeah, I, had yeah. <laughs> I had a question, Damon. Um, these um, research uh, numbers, have you are they being compared to homeless using the um, emergency room as their primary care? You know, because I know that that's a huge, um, I, don't, I don't want to call it a problem, but it is definitely an issue, you know, where they don't have a, a primary care doctor, so they use the emergency room for all their needs as they come up. Yes, yeah, so in the first studies that I showed, Utilization of you know the emergency room and the hospital was not really something that was assessed at all. But this first bullet, this this study by the the Veterans Administration Homeless Patient Aligned Care Team study, they do look at emergency department utilization. And in fact, having more drop-in availability did reduce inappropriate use of both emergency rooms and hospitals. Um, and so so that this is probably the best evidence we have in a broad population of people around drop-in services in particular. Yeah, that's good. That's good, good. Thank you. Any other questions? Great. I think the next slide um, is an interesting... Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry for that. I was trying to unmute myself. Um, I'm just wondering kind of if any of the literature you're looking at talked about um, accessibility in terms, you know, it sounds like having someone help transport the person to the actual clinic and showing them around was good. 
I'm just thinking about accessibility. I'm thinking, you know, when it comes to folks experiencing homelessness, I feel um, some of it, the barriers that I've heard in the past is kind of having, feeling comfortable coming to a location when, you know, they, they basically have all their belongings with them. Um, so kind of coming into a hospital, like having to go through an appointment, uh, it just doesn't feel very accessible in terms of, I just can't leave my stuff, you know, like just a, a very basic need of uh, how are we accommodating um, creating spaces that kind of keep have that in mind um, where people, I don't know if there's like storage spaces or if there's, um, I don't know, did it talk to anything about that in terms of like not only what the clinic is, but what the kind of location is or how they're set up to meet the needs of the homeless like population in specific? Yeah, doc, Dr. Cortez's work on that last um, bullet here does a lot about um, using sort of survey-based tools to ask people experiencing homelessness what they prefer in a clinic environment and then has created some assessment tools um, that get at things like what is the space like? Does it allow for these things like bringing belongings? Pets, I think, are included in, in his assessment as well. And then, um, and then they, they adapted, the, the VA Homeless Patient Aligned Care Team adapted a lot of Dr. Cortez's work to, de to design the Homeless Patient Aligned Care Team program. So that first study um, that, I, that I referenced from Dr. O'Toole and colleagues at the VA, they actually used some of those instruments to look at the HPAC clinics. And the way they did it was like, the clinics who look more like the clinic that you're talking about versus the clinics that don't, what were their outcomes, their chronic disease outcomes, and what were their utilization outcomes. Now, of course, you know, there could be a lot of other reasons because that you, patients weren't randomized in that case to one or the other. So it could have been that, you know, patients that were, for some reason, um, had fewer illnesses also ended up in clinics that tended to have space and showers and things that, you know, that, that made it a lot easier to walk into if you, um, if you were someone who wanted to get those kinds of services and support. Um, but there is some suggestion in, in you know, in the, both those bodies of work that um, designs like that really do matter um, for people. And of course, my personal experience, you know, we designed the, the trust clinic from scratch um, that Lifelong operates um, with some of those things in mind and really have, you know, have noticed that it's, it's really worked as a, as a drop-in accessible place, you know, in the middle of downtown Oakland where it's come as you are, there's coffee waiting for you, you know, um, there's, there's a place to put your stuff, there's, you know, you can pick up clothes, things like that, um, that, that, that really, you know, that welcoming environment is really central to, to designing the right kind of service. Great, thank you. Um, so going to the, the next slide, actually, this is another, just, I just picked out one study because I thought it was really interesting. You know, survey-based studies, um, sometimes, you know, we don't all understand how our own minds work. And so sometimes you, you, you um, get what people want to think they're like rather than what they're actually like. But this was a cool study where they actually gave people like play money and they were like, what, what would you put your money on? You know, if you were someone experiencing homelessness, these are people living with HIV in San Francisco who are also experiencing homelessness, and they actually use this, like, kind of cost comparison way to say, we, you have a certain amount of money to, like, make the services the ones that you would want. What would you buy, you know, with that money? What would you pay for with that money? And um, by far, the most important thing was patient-centered providers. 
Um, by far, the thing that people cared about the most was, was who the providers were in the clinic. But the next most important thing was having drop-in availability versus scheduled appointments. And then, you know, below those two things was how far away the clinic was. Like, people were willing to travel a lot farther to get those two things. Um, did you get a financial incentive to actually go to your appointment? Actually, drop-in appointments were, you know, people preferred versus the scheduled appointment they were even paid to attend. Um, and then actually being able to call your provider directly mattered less than being able to drop in and, and see your provider. Um, so I thought this was just another interesting study that kind of gets at this drop-in idea that so many experts find to be really compelling. And, you know, I think, you know, we all, we all tell each other we need, to, we need to figure out how to create. This was a way to sort of get at that with a little bit of additional evidence. Um, so you can go to the next slide. Um, and I talked about my experience with the trust clinic um, that, you know, I think we, I've definitely had, you know, my own experiences. We as a community, I think, have experiences showing us that, that you know, drop-in um, services really do um, just feel more accessible to people, that they're more likely to utilize them and sort of develop those kinds of relationships that really, um, that really can sustain, you know, long-term improvements, particularly in chronic disease management for people, whether the chronic disease is a substance use disorder or whether it's you know heart disease or whether it's HIV, you know you need a relationship with a primary care provider to to do a good job and and drop in. It really supports people to develop that relationship on their own terms. It's kind of a, a meet people where they are type of intervention. Um, so my conclusions on the next slide um, were really that you know we should explore something like clinic orientation. You know as we move into our strategic planning process to improve engagement in primary care, we should think about. How can we expand drop-in availability potentially at some of our wellness centers? Um, is, you know, is there a way to do that alongside of scheduled appointments? Um, and that as we plan for mobile health, um, you know, and start really thinking about the, the, the model that the um, mobile van is designed with, that we should really try to align our planning with these other strategies across our system so that we're fully leveraging mobile health, not just as a separate other clinic that drives around and does other things, but that's really integrated into our system and kind of helps support people engaging in a, in a medical home. Um, but the, you can go to the next slide, Brenda. Um, I definitely want to, you know, pause there and then just hear, you know, any questions or comments that you all have and any ideas you have for future, future planning um, that, you know, are prompted by this presentation. Nice to see you again. Um, just thank you so much for looking into this. I think it's really great time to hear kind of what other folks are doing and what they've looked at already. Uh, I'm, I think in general, I'm a huge proponent of drop-in and just thinking about um, kind of what that might look like in Alameda Health System. Um, and I know when, like when we first started at the board, you know, we had talked about uh, eventually maybe and doing site visits and thing, and then you know COVID happened, so that's kind of not really been a possibility. But I, when the time is, you know, when that's an option in the future, I really would want us to prioritize kind of doing site visits, kind of having a better understanding of what the clinics look like physically, how they function, um, how it becomes, whether that's something that um, feels accessible to the folks that we're trying to reach, right, um, and kind of really. Um, you know, not just take it as a status quo, this is what it is and this is how it's been, but really try to assess, like, is this actually working? What do we need to do? How do we move to a place where 
um, we're actually meeting the needs of folks um, and then kind of working toward that. Um, so I don't, I don't really know what the next steps would be right now, but um, I'm excited about the possibility of like really digging deeper uh, into how we can make improvements uh, and adjust uh, how we provide services right now. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I've, I've put my own site visits on hold as well, even because of COVID. So I think it's, um, I, I, I had the same idea in mind just for my own role, let alone for the board. I think it's a great idea. Um, and um, we'll definitely, we'll definitely try to accelerate that, you know, as the virus lets us. other comments or questions or ideas? I was just going to say I too agree that I like the fact that you have a model that we can build on for ourselves. Basically, which is the same thing that was already stated. Yeah, I don't know. For me, at least in my notes, I emphasize a different point, um, which is the, the model element of this. I do I do think um, the homeless patient aligned care team model at the VA um, is one that, you know, I had thought about a lot like five years ago when I was in the role at the county and then hadn't really come back to. And then by, you know, kind of trying to systematically do this review that you all asked, it kind of popped out again. Like these people have thought about this a lot. They've done some things. It kind of works. Um, so. I think, you know, that's something that I might want to bring forward more is kind of looking more in depth at that homeless patient aligned care team um, as a model that we can, you know, that we can continue to lift up. Amen, isn't there one in Fremont right now, Navigation Center, that uh, I think the, the concept is, is pretty much the same as what you're saying? They can go and get clothing and food and help with housing and you know i don't know about you mean a, a, a clinic in fremont for veterans no not for veterans but um it's just for homeless navigation yeah, center. Oh, that's a navigation center that, that's part of max in fremont that just right. yeah so it's just a, just a navigation center that just basically you know when people get their assessments done and they're homeless in fremont city of fremont uh, basically and once you get the assessment done, and then you can basically go there, and then we'll work with the care coordinators to find you permanent housing. Yeah, so they do provide meals, you know, and they do have laundry. We have a shower, so it's open. We have curfew now because of COVID-19, so there's a curfew at 10 o'clock. But it's a nice little start to get them off the street and place them there. It's a, like a dorm setting, so uh, but it's really nice. So yeah. Now, I also wanted to say, um, Dr. Damon, I totally agree with you on how Trust Clinic kind of built it up because when I was working at Cronin House for almost 10 years, I remember taking clients to Lifelong to the Trust Clinic, and um, they really loved being there. They felt really, like, comfortable, you know. And like you said, you know, getting there, I'm like, what do you, like, I cannot wait to get a hot coffee, right, because they knew there was coffee there for them. You know, and they knew that in the back area there was a located area that they could get some clothes. You know, and that the relationship that they have with the health coach or other people in the front desk, you know, was amazing. And they've been like, I'm like, how long have you been coming here? I've been coming to 
came there because they're so connected with, you know, with Lifelong and the, and the team and the resources that I have for that. Um, yeah, I wanted to share that right quick. Yeah, yeah I appreciate I that. Yeah, experts agree, right? And Khalil's definitely an expert. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you we're making people feel like their, their thoughts, their ideas matter and that they are part of, they mean something to the community, you know? And I think that's half the battle. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm just curious why something like this, I know Fremont, is it because it's a more affluent area that it, it started there instead of, say, Oakland, downtown Oakland, you know, or East Oakland, where the homeless population seems to be um, greater? Well, I think that the navigation centers, uh, there, there are navigation centers with different designs um, all over the county. Um, and, you know, Berkeley Food and Housing Project has had this sort of drop-in centers that they've connected to, for example, their coordinated entry system. I think the particular kind of specifics of the design may be different, but in a lot of cases, I think it's the concept of really trying to create a very open, no wrong door sort of entry point into the housing system. And, right. um, and that's distinct a little bit from the primary care system. But I think another thing to learn from the VA is how much the VA supportive housing program was aligned with the homeless patient aligned care team. And that housing was sort of built in as a planning process. And um, so that's one of the things I kind of take away from, from you raising the idea of navigation centers in the context of talking about primary care is like, hey, let's be where people are and, and make things more right. accessible. And so one thing we could explore is what is the presence of primary care in the navigation centers right now, yeah. you know, in Fremont and, you know, where, where Khalil is and how do we kind of increase our presence in those locations? Thank you. Okay, great. As you all know, you can always email anytime, send us questions and ideas. Um, really appreciative for you all kind of giving us this task to do. You know, it's, it's something that, um, you know, the formality behind it really encouraged me to kind of think more deeply about it and, and I think um, led to kind of more insights um, that I think are going to be really useful in our strategic planning process. So really appreciate your thoughtfulness and participation. Thank you, Dave. Okay. So, so the next thing we have is, um, have you, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, the re report discussion, the program report? That's correct. So now we're moving on to the monthly program yeah. report, which we provide to you each month, um, gives you a little update on what's going on. Um, so last month we talked about health center compliance and at the time we were, uh, it was pending the report back from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program regarding our um, clinical and quality systems monitoring visit, which took place in uh, September, I'm going to say September and October. And so we did receive back their report in which there, there were no findings, uh, no recommendations, no corrective actions. It was a very... It's a very quick report uh, we, because we do such a great job with this area. Um, this is our credentialing processes. They reviewed uh, our credentialing process, which was provided to them by our, our medical staffing office. 
they asked a lot of questions. And so the report was primarily just describing the process that they took and the information that they went over and said that it was all in alignment with the HRSA program requirements. Um, so nothing to do about that visit. We do have another one coming up soon. We will be scheduling shortly, and it is the one that focuses on governance. Um, so it may involve some of you. You might get an opportunity to participate in some of our monitoring visits. Um, the next part of our report, we go over our encounters specifically related to mobile health clinic, and so we kept on for the year. Um, remember, we've closed out a calendar year, which is related to our subrecipient agreement with the county, but we want to keep looking at the trends of our volume for mobile health clinic, and so you can see that we're just, we're just running along with about 46 clinical encounters this past month. You'll see um, a jump up in our in our enabling encounters, and, I, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that part of our enabling encounters increase um, is related to the PDSA that we've been working on with the team to really focus on primary care engagement with the patients. And so they were doing some um, very intentional outreach uh, and connection with patients who came into the clinic to Heather, get their- can you maybe explain what a PDSA is? Just in case, I thank, don't know. Thank you so much. Um, a PDSA is our quality improvement model, and it refers to the P stands for plan. Um, plans do, hold on, PDSA, plan, do, study, act. I got to do it in order to remember. So, so uh, we did some planning process where we made some predictions about what might happen when in in what we wanted to do and what we thought might happen. And then we studied the results of what did happen when we did what we planned to do. And then right now, um, the group is reviewing that. Uh, they're kind of still in the study phase. And then from there, they're either going to adapt what they've changed, because they did, part of the plan was to do things differently to get a new outcome. Um, and this was about primary care engagement for our patients who were being seen at the mobile clinic. Damon, did you want to say more about that? Um, no, I think you're right. I, I think having reviewed the, some of the data with um, LEM, I think that increase in January is about just more intensively following up with folks and interacting with folks who come to the van and to be a little bit pushier about, um, you know, about helping. <laughs> and one of the things we discovered was when we started more formally assessing how many people wanted support, we thought only about 60% of our patients were going to want some kind of support that was our prediction as a team about, and we've all pretty much agreed on it, that about 50% of our patients were gonna want support to better connect with their primary care home. And what we found was that it was over 80%. So people, when we more formally offered, you know, what we do, we're always very accessible and kind of informally offering. So when we kind of were, you know, more formal about it, we ended up helping more people, um, which was really interesting to me. Thank you, Damon. Um, uh, we can scroll down a little bit, that, that quality section a little bit describes that PDSA and, and we talked about it above. And then the last section is really to give you an update on some of our leadership and advocacy. Um, I don't know if you remember previously in the program report, this is a very small paragraph and it's gotten very large suddenly as we really are trying to highlight some of the involvement by Damon and I within the greater system, which is the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless System the greater community, which includes all of Alameda County, even beyond the healthcare for the homeless system, and then also 
um, at Alameda Health System specifically. And so you'll see there, for example, we're highlighting um, Damon's involvement in some of those town halls, especially one of the community town halls, the virtual African-American town hall series, which he spoke about in his program report. And then, as we had already mentioned to you, the um, vaccination efforts um, of Alameda Health System and my role in the COVID vaccination clinic at Highland and uh, supporting kind of structurally some of the vaccination clinics in ambulatory care. And again, just reminding you that we are working on the redesign, which I think also was mentioned um, quite a bit through David's presentation on engagement in primary care, and then also, um, well, mainly there in David's presentation on engagement in primary care. So we are working on that. Any questions? Great. Great. Any questions? So I guess at this point we can open it up for um, public comment. Do we have any public comment? In reviewing our participants, I don't see any members of the public present. No. All okay. participants appear to be known entities. Okay, great. And what about any um, co-applicant board members comments? Okay. So if I may add something yeah, in anticipation that there may be some co-applicant board comments directed towards our CEO, James Jackson. Uh, <laughs> so th th there will be some limitations, of course, you know, if things that go outside of the scope of the agenda. Also, things that may uh, influence future decision-making of the co-applicant board on items that fall directly within the scope of the jurisdiction of this co-applicant board. On that note, I'll end it there. So if there are questions, please ask away and you know, I'll, I'll closely monitor and we'll tell you that may fall outside of the scope or it is within the scope. Thank you, Alex. I think I just, this is Lucia, I just wanted to uh, thank Mr. Jackson again for joining us. I think that's, I can't imagine how many things you have on your plate right now. Um, so really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join our meeting. Um, and we're very much, I'm very much looking forward to um, bringing items to your attention as we kind of discuss more uh, ways of improving our healthcare for the homeless program. So thank you again. You were very kind. I appreciate you saying that. <clears throat> and um, the reality is, I work for you. Um, this is really an opportunity for me to utilize the, the powers that come with this office to enhance your work. And so I, I, I hear what you've said, but just know that um, I work for you and I welcome the opportunity to augment your work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to make a, a, a quick comment. I was speaking to Heather about this. You know, there is a schedule on the AlamedaHealthSystem.org website that gives you the calendar of where the mobile van is going to be at certain days and certain times. And um, I know for myself, 
um, I missed one opportunity, but I, I do plan on going next time I see the van, if, it, if, if I'm in that area or if I make it a point to go visit it. I, I do want to go in and introduce myself and just meet the people that work there and, you know, get a, a visual of what um, our clients are actually um, receiving, you know. I think it's a good thing if you if you can actually see it. So I would encourage any of you to do that if you feel up to that. And, and if you do, um, you also need to bring your Alameda Health Systems badge to identify yourself. And uh, we can't go together as a group. <laughs> Heather informs me we, get, we need to go, you know, on our own, so to speak. Um, is that correct, Heather? Yes, we can't accidentally have a meeting together. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right, right. So um, just something to keep in mind uh, if you're interested in going and actually seeing how the clinic works. I know I'm very excited to see it. Uh, I've seen it on the road, but I have not gotten close to it, <laughs> close enough to it, shall I say. Okay, are there any other comments? So I guess we can adjourn our meeting, correct, Heather? Correct. You can adjourn the meeting. It is 7.01. I think 707. Oh, 37. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Have a great night. Thank you, guys. Bye, everyone. Have a good night. You too, guys.